just thank you this, for this wonderful day where we can come to you in, with thanksgiving on our hearts. Father, Father, we just thank you for, thanks, for the thanksgiving of all the fruit that you've given us in the last season. And even today, as many are speaking about a hunting season to come, Father God, we still look at a bounty that is in the fields that you have provided. And so, Father, at all times, even listening to Jason this morning, just thanking that even while we are out in nature, we can see that all your creation is good and wonderful. Father, I thank you that you are the gatekeeper in our lives to nature, to your providence, to your care, to your love. And so, Father, even now as we explore your word, we just pray that you would feed each one of us from your word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. All right, so just want to welcome everybody here this morning. And just, uh, just one of the quick uh, announcements. We, Amy is looking at a, a, a young lady or a woman's uh, small group Bible study. So please remember to sign up for your, the Bible studies. And Wednesday evening, we will be starting prayer time and interactive Bible study. So I look forward to everybody being part of a small group in some way. Also, if you're here for the first time, we want to welcome you. There's also, we have cards that you can just fill out uh, your, your name and address so that we can be in contact with you if you would like, because I think there's a lot of people that are not on our emailing list, and, and then sometimes the communication doesn't come your way, and then it feels like we don't love you or something like that, and often it's not. It's just that we're just not communicating well. All right, that being said, let's take a moment, please, family, to just let's stand and read the Word of God together. If you take out your Bibles, let's go to James chapter 5. Let's read together. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Amen. Please take your seats. One of the things when reading the Bible is context. And the context of James, as you and I sit under the teachings of, of James this morning, because we've been going through the book of James, and as you can see, we don't have much left in the book of James, but James is wisdom literature. And here James, often when we just take one verse or two verses as a, at a time, you'd think J James has got a beef with rich people, wouldn't you? But when you read the last, but you have condemned and murdered the righteous person he does not resist you. Does that speak to rich people or does that speak to Jesus? It's the righteous person 
that these rich people have condemned. So who are these rich people that Jesus and the word of God and James are speaking to, that are being alluded to? And as it's Thanksgiving, and we're thinking about all the things that have come into our lives, not just your bank balance, not just your home, but every, every part of your life, be it your clothes, your shoes. Are you grateful? Are you thankful? See, ultimately, Jesus is the gatekeeper in God's house. This morning, we sang two songs that we started off, didn't we? We shall enter his gates with praise. We'll bring a sacrifice of praise. And family, all this language in all these songs alludes to the temple in Jerusalem. And if you're watching the news in the last 48 hours, you'll know that peace in Jerusalem is quite elusive. Jerusalem is the most hotly contested real estate on the whole planet. If, you wanted, if you'd had to try and buy property in the city of David, it is very rare to get hold of property in that city. It seldom even goes up for sale because everybody wants to have property as close to that temple as possible. Why? Because one day Jesus is coming back, Revelation tells us, and he's coming back to Jerusalem. And God tells us that he's getting the new Jerusalem ready. And guess what? Everybody wants to be as close to God as possible. The proximity to God is a form of prosperity. You who are believers in Jesus, you have access to the Holy of Holies. And what is the Holy of Holies? But the place where God lives. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple was torn to say that all who would put their faith in Christ would have access to the Holy of Holies because you have become a priest of the living God. Jesus is the high priest and you and I and our belief in him become part of the bride of Christ. And so we are co-heirs with Christ. A commentary by John Stott in Ephesians 5.25. I know I brought this up two weeks ago and I'm bringing it up again because it's important. Ephesians 5 is a well-known scripture. We, at almost every wedding ceremony we bring this one up. It's speaking about the relationship between a husband and wife Jesus and his church. Having cleansed his bride, his, the church, by water and the word, the heavenly bridegroom plans is to sanctify the church and finally present you and I to himself. The sanctification appears to refer to the process of making her holy in character and conduct by the power of the indwelling spirit. While the presentation is eschatological, it will take place when Christ returns to take the church, you and I, to himself. He will present her to himself in splendor. So Jesus, when you've surrendered your heart to Jesus and say, Lord, I am yours. 
and I take a covenant that you'll be my Lord God forever and ever. You make a marital covenant with Christ. And he comes and he, and he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you as the endowment. In many of our cultures, we used to have dowries and, and in Africa, you call it labola, all these things, but there would be an endowment and the Holy Spirit is your endowment. It's the engagement ring. When you see somebody, a, a lady walking down the road and you see an engagement ring, you know that she is spoken for. Not so. Or do you think a person with an engagement ring on them is open game? No. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. Because, and the Holy Spirit's role in our life is to bring us into a process of sanctification, is making us holy. Christ himself is bringing us to a place of holiness so that you and I may bear fruit. And the fruit of the Spirit, as we all know by now, is love, joy, peace, hope, patience, kindness, long-suffering. And this is the fruit that you will know God's people by their fruit. And the fruit is not for our own consumption, family. If you're a fruit tree, you're providing fruit to those who come to you seeking fruit. And the world today needs fruit. If you don't believe me, have a look at the news, just briefly. Looking at, look at any magazine you choose. The world is in desperate need of the fruit of the Spirit. And you and I, because we are the trees bearing God's fruit, are the gatekeepers of that fruit. Jesus curses a fig tree because it has no fruit, because he, when he comes looking for the fruit, it's not available. And so it is with the world. As the world comes to you seeking the fruit of God, it is your and my role as gatekeepers in the house to make sure that we have fruit available to feed the nations. And Jesus himself is the ultimate gatekeeper. He's the great high priest. And because he indwells us, his fruit is available to flow through us to feed the nations. And so Jesus is our rabbi. And rabbi means teacher. When you look at the gospels, everybody is calling Jesus teacher. Teacher, teacher, rabbi, 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 messiah. And so they speak about the dust of, a, of the rabbi. When you and I spend time with Jesus, the dust of Christ will be upon us. His words will be upon us. I was looking at a, at a research journal this week where they said, if you spend a minimum of four days a week in the Word of God. Just reading the Word of God four times a week. It'll bring change in your life. They think it, it drops your depression by 33%. It dr drops your lack of despondency by 50%. It just all these statistics of when you spend time in God's Word, what it does to you as a human being. It takes away all the despondency, all the fruit of the spirit that is of the devil, it takes that away. And it replaces with hope, joy, love, peace, and family. I cannot tell you, even in my life, when I came to Christ, these things were sorely lacking in my life. 
I was totally despondent. I had very little victory over my own desires and wants. And, I, and as I spend time in the Word, as I spend time with Jesus, so go and re, you read the Sermon on the Mount and tell me that's not supernatural wisdom in every way, shape. When you spend time with Jesus, family, He will change you. And as you spend time with your rabbi, with the Word of God, He brings His sanctification and He washes you by the Word. And He brings change to your life. He, he, he wants you to walk in the fullness of everything he has to offer. We have not because we ask not. And so as we spend time and we ask Jesus for knowledge and wisdom in so that, Lord, give me fruit that I may feed your people. I mean, one, I was thinking last night as I was meditating on this, when I first got saved, I wanted to be, Lord, I'd love to be a prophet in your home. You know? And, and now I was thinking when I was walking home last night, Lord, may I love your people as you love them. I, you know, Lord, help me to love people. People are just broken and, and lost and all sorts of things and we're all in different stages of having stuff. But most of all, Lord, forget about prophecy. Lord, give me love for people. Doesn't matter how broken they are, whether they're confused as to their identity, it really doesn't matter. But Lord, as I meet children created in your image, help me to love them with the love of Jesus. And so may the dust of my rabbi, Jesus, be upon me. In both Acts 22, 3, we see Paul sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. In Luke chapter 10, we read there that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. From a Western context, when we think of somebody it's sitting at the feet of somebody else, we think of that's kind of derogatory. But you see, it's a figure of speech. When you are reading the Word of God, you are sitting at the feet of the Word. Just as Paul was taught by Gamaliel by sitting at his feet. Who is your teacher? When you submit yourself to a teacher, a rabbi, education, a school, you are sitting at their feet. And this indicates that Mary herself was a disciple of Jesus. This is what that word, sitting at his feet, alludes to. Sit amidst the, the dust of their feet. And you see, Jesus, in this moment, is ushering people, the lost of the world, he's ushering them to his father's house. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you will come to my father's house. This is all marriage talk. We will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise because when he comes to fetch us, to take us one day, and we will enter those gates with our bridegroom has come. Because the next Jewish festival that we're going to be celebrating as Christians is the marriage feast of the Lamb. And you and I have front row tickets. We've been called and asked to walk down the aisle with that. And Jesus is saying, come with me. And you see, the ushering ministry in God's church is very important. What is the ushering ministry? The concept of an usher is not new. In the Old Testament, there are positions addressed as doorkeepers or gatekeepers, and their roles are very similar. We read about it in Kings, Chronicles, and Psalms. 
doorkeepers or gatekeepers. In Psalm 84, one of my favorite scriptures. I remember, you know, I really struggled in my early days of just serving God. I just, there was so much sin in my life that I felt like I could never get rid of. And I remember praying to God and saying, Lord, I'm not worthy to go into heaven one day. Lord, I just, if I can just stand at the gates or the door in heaven one day, you know, that's all I'm worthy of. You know, I don't, I'm not even worthy to go into your kingdom. I felt so dirty and despised of myself. Later on, when I gained a revelation of what I was praying for, I was praying even for a higher place in God's kingdom than just merely going through its gates. Because you see, being a doorkeeper or a, gate, or a gatekeeper in God's kingdom is a place of spiritual leadership. When you pray to be a doorkeeper or a gate, gatekeeper in God's kingdom, you're asking to be an elder, a leader, spiritual leader. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. You see, when we stand at the gate of God's house, you and my role as believers, as the, the bride of Christ, is to usher the world out of the tents of the wicked and say, remove yourself from the world and come and enter into God's presence. You have been invited. And you and I have been sent into this world. A doorkeeper, a gate, is a person on duty at the entrance to a building. A responsible for opening up the gates, for ushering people through. Spiritual leadership is a grave responsibility and God holds leaders to a higher standard. But I want to suggest to you, family, if you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in you, that you have spiritual leadership. If you are the only Christian in your class, then you are the priest of that classroom. If you're the only Christian in your university auditorium, then you are the priest in that place. It's your role. To have fruit in your life that you can say, taste and see that God is good. That his ways are above men's ways. That God will restore everything you have ever lost. You abused growing up, God will restore. You've lost everything you ever hold dear, God will restore. God is in the restoration business. And Jesus says, come to my father's house. Come. I would have you. And you see, God knows, even in this book of Moses, we read their spiritual leadership. We read about Moses, along with 70 elders, formed the first government of Israel according to divine directive and sanctifies the hallowed arrangement. God says in Numbers 11, I will come down and speak with you there and I will draw in the spirit that is on Moses and put it on the leaders and they shall share the burden of the people with you and you shall not bear it alone. Even as a pastor, as an elder in this congregation, I do not bear the burden of leadership here alone. There are dozens of people here that bear the burden of spiritual leadership here. We do not bear this journey alone. We do it together. We lead together. And in fact, this method of governance is partly what happens in the Western culture. We read on further, sorry, it's a bit small writing, but just the great Sanhedrin had 71 sages and lesser Sanhedrin of 23 sages. 
coming from each municipal, municipality throughout the land of Israel, bearing, bearing the honorable Nasi, prince or president of Bedin, a vice president or a sage, and has been unfulfilled since the Sanhedrin was dissolved in 360. But do you know that here in, in Bancroft, in Manuth, you elect a mayor? That in your provincial area we choose the mayor? You know where that comes from? Where our idea of parliament comes from, democracy comes from? The people will choose leaders from amongst them that will go to parliament, the Sanhedrin. And this is spiritual leadership. You know what the mandate, you know what the responsibilities of these people are meant to be? It's Exodus 18. It says, you shall discern from um, among the entire people men of accomplishment, God-fearing, men of truth, people who despise money. God-fearing, men of truth, people who despise money. And you shall appoint them leaders of thousands, leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, and leaders of ten. So even if you're running a small group, and you're the leader of a small group, that's ten people, you're a leader of ten. If you're a small church, and you're an elder in a small church, you're a leader of fifty. Maybe you're a church of a hundred, you're a leader of... There's different types and levels of leadership. So they shall judge the people... At all times. What does judge mean? Be judgmental? No. Judge, God's judgment brings healing. When I meet somebody, I discern, Lord, what fruit is needed? What do they need? Do they need hope? Do you need faith? Do you need encouragement? What fruit do I need to present to you this morning? And when we think of thanksgiving and Christ himself, I'm thankful for my, my Jesus in my life. Every single day, every waking moment, even walking from sitting down there to up here, I'm just saying, God, have mercy and grace on me as we share your word this morning. May it be alive to me. So I try to preach to myself. If you get something out of it, God bless you. Right? And then we have Jesus himself. And I know that's one small again writing, but Matthew 21, we read about Jesus entering into the temple. And, and he drove out all who sold and bought things in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You shall, and you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, they were amazed. Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. Because all of a sudden you had somebody who's not an elected official. He's not part of the Sanhedrin. And the people are going to Jesus. And Jesus is chasing all the people that were making money in the temple out of the temple. You see, it's not that the people, those money lenders weren't supposed to be. They were family. Because when you would go to the temple, you had to pay your temple shekel. But if you were coming from Athens and you're going to Jerusalem to pay your temple, you had to exchange your Athenian money, your denarius, whatever, to the temple shekel. And so you needed the money changes there. But you see, what was happening is that the men in charge decided, you know what? There's an opportunity to make a bit of money here. So there was a bit of, they made, they started, the exchange rate was fixed. In whose favor? In the people coming into the temple or the people doing the lending? Pigeons. Every time, you know, Jesus was born, they, they had to, Joseph and Mary had to give pigeons for, to redeem Christ as an, 
a sacrifice and an offering for the child. But then all of a sudden the price of pigeons was going through the roof. And then so people were being extorted just to get into God's presence. To provide the sacrifices that God had asked of them. And you would say, well, that doesn't happen in our modern day, but family, I'm telling you, it does. In the Middle Ages, why do you think we have a Protestant, Catholic, Protestant and Catholic breakaway? Because they were selling indulgences. You want your sins to be forgiven? Well, what's your estate worth? Maybe 20% of everything you have. Your mother and father, they're dead now, and they weren't good people. But if you give us a million dollars, we will take a hundred years out of purgatory for them. And so we sell spiritual privileges. And then there's a certain grouping of people that start getting super wealthy. And these are the Sanhedrin. The people who are supposed to hate money are then making money out of people who are trying to come into God's presence. We are to, as doorkeepers or gatekeepers, we are to remove the burden. All hindrances of people coming into God's kingdom. That's our role. Martin, I've got sin in my life. Well, there's forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Martin, how much must I pay you? Nothing. Nothing. It is my privilege. It is my honor. It is my duty. Because I love Jesus with an everlasting love. And I know he died for you on a cross. And he died for you already. So there's nothing you can pay. But come as you are. Surrender your sins at the feet of the cross and enter into his pleasure because it's not by might, it's not by your good works because Jesus loves you. And that all he asks is surrender, do life his way. Surrender your heart and make a covenant with him. And so we have Jesus who's in the temple. He's chasing out anybody who's a hindrance. So family, even yourself, are you a hindrance to people coming to God? When people see you, do they think they've got a good Christian testimony? Are you a hindrance? You see, there's the temple before it was destroyed. And Christianity and Judaism was highly linked to that temple. Because you see, that big building in the middle was where the Holy of Holies was kept. And the Ark of the Covenant was in that building. And between the cherubim on that mercy seat, once a year they would present the blood of the sacrifice for the remediation of sin. But you see, when Jesus died on the cross, and we speak about the slain lamb, and we drink blood at a covenant in the morning, we know that Jesus himself takes his own blood as the high priest, and he puts it on the mercy seat, on the ark of the covenant, between the cherubim. And God, when he sees humanity, he looks at the blood of his son on that mercy seat, and the sins of mankind have been paid in full. Wow. Because Jesus is the ultimate gatekeeper. He's redeemed every single one of us. Every, even your non-saved next-door neighbor, they've been redeemed. All they need to do is say, Lord, I acknowledge your sin paid the debt. You see, Jesus, the mountain of the Lord's house, the mountain of the Lord, Isaiah 2.2. Jesus, when he's in the temple, you'll see the yellow, I'll put the yellow star. This is where Jesus did his ministry in the temple. He was in the court of the Gentiles, 
those three little red dots, the lower red dot, that was the outer court. It was a place where that was the woman's hall. Women could only enter into that far. The men could only go through the next gate where the next red star is. They could go there. The priests could be in the rest of the place. And one person could enter into the Holy of Holies once a year with a string tied around their, their ankle with bells so that if the bells stopped, they knew to be able to pull that priest who had burnt wrong incense or something. They could pull them out of the Holy of Holies. See, but Jesus is found in the court of the Gentiles and everything Jesus is doing is restoring everybody to the Holy of Holies. Jesus is the ultimate gatekeeper. He's saying, come family, come. I will heal you. So all the lepers, lepers couldn't even enter. If you had a woman with a, a woman with the, the, in the story of the blood, she touches Jesus and he feels the power leaving him. But she is cleansed. Before that, she wasn't even welcome to go into the court of the Gentiles because she was unclean. Lepers, unclean. Have you got a sore in your arm? Unclean. You couldn't go in there. Do you know how difficult it is going to the, the temple? You had to go to mitzvah. You had to do all these things to purify yourself. And Jesus has taken care of all of that by his blood. So he sanctifies you and makes him, you righteous, because of himself. And says, Enter into my father's house. You're welcome. And so we also know that on the night Jesus, in the synoptic gospels, when Jesus is arrested, both in Matthew and Mark, we see that Jesus is arrested. And where is he taken? To the high priest of Israel's home. Because that's where he stands accused. He was the man in charge of the temple. And so this is where James starts off. In the book of James, Jesus, James starts writing off in the book. He says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. Family, do you know there's 12, 12 gates into the new heavenly Jerusalem, one for each of the tribes of Israel. How many of you want to go one day? I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, my, my ticket is booked. I, I don't mind which gate I go through, but I do know that I'm part of the 12 tribes of Israel, and so are you. When Jesus became your Lord and Master, Jesus is the tribe of Judah. We're going to enter those gates with thanksgiving and praise. We're going to be dancing and singing, and that's going to be the biggest party you and I have ever been part of. So James is speaking to the tribes of Israel. But now he's saying this, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion or cancer will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire, speaking to hell. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You see, family, if you couldn't enter into the Lord's temple and you're working for God, but you could never enter into his presence, it's like you have no salvation. There are no wages for your work. And so these men who were supposed to be the gatekeepers ushering people into God's kingdom were saying, you've got to pay me first. And so these people, when people are desperate, Think about it, if, if, if there was a member of your family that had cancer or something like that and was stage four, and there's some person in Mexico that was 
who will heal you for $100,000. Would you spend the $100,000 for your loved one? What about your loved one in hell? Would you be like, I don't know where my mother and father is, right? If I could just pay $100,000 to secure their salvation, do you think it's worth it? Yes, you would. You're desperate for your loved ones. Which one of your loved ones do you not want to be in heaven one day? So as the gatekeepers are becoming wealthy of the spiritual needs of the people in the world, you and I are gatekeepers. Are you ushering people through or are you holding them back? Oh, you perhaps are not good enough. You don't smell too good. Your teeth don't look good. You're unclean. You're a woman. You're a kid. You're an old man. Whatever. All these prejudices. No, family. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. You have lived in the earth, lived on, on the earth in luxury and in, in self-indulgence, and you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. Speaking of Christ's death on the cross. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist, resist you. So we meet Jesus standing before the elders or the Sanhedrin, the people that are supposed to be looking after his father's house. And these men that are supposed to be looking after the father's house. What do they do to Jesus? They say, well, if the world is going to come to Jesus, they're going to gain nothing out of it. But remember that in Exodus, what was it? They need to be God-fearing, and they need to hate money. And so Jesus goes into the Sanhedrin. He's accused, he's betrayed, and he's set up, and he is sacrificed on a cross for you and I. He pays the price once and for all. Judas himself, Judas Iscariot, the traitor, himself declares Jesus to be innocent and gives the 30 pieces of silver back to the temple. says, I have condemned a righteous man. He invited Jesus. He himself declares Jesus' righteousness. You see, we share in the burden of leadership. So as Christ is our high priest, you and I share his burden for the lost. We, we go out into the world and we seek the lost and we pick them up and we carry them through. When we're praying for people, no matter whether it's Mark falling off or people needing a well, we pray for God's providence and prosperity in each other's lives. We need Jesus. We need God. And the world needs God. Just read your newspaper once again. It's just every time I look at it, Lord, may people just come to your temple. Christ. Lord, come into my life. May the world see you in me. So if there's one thought I want to leave you this morning. But godliness with contentment is great gain. I'll read that again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We read that in 1 Timothy. This is Paul writing to Timothy saying, when you're godly, and you can just be content when you've got to look at when you're out in the bush and it's not comfortable, whatever, but you can see the northern stars or, and, and you know the, the northern lights. That contentment is amazing. When you're driving through the, the back roads here and you've got a second old rusty car, but you're looking at the, the reds and the golden leaves of the forest, you can just say, Lord, 
What a privilege it is to just walk in your kingdom. Have you got food on your table? Oh, Lord, thank you so much. Be content with everything. Whether you've got lots in your life or not so much, be content. You see, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, listen to this, will fall into temptation and into a trap and into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And this is what James is saying. The spiritual leaders have fallen into that temptation, into that trap. All their desires have held that against them, that when Jesus, their Lord and Savior, stands before them, they do not recognize him. Wow. If Jesus walked into this room right now, I pray that every single one of you would recognize him immediately. If he was wearing his prayer shawl, you wouldn't think that's strange. You'd say, Rabbi, welcome. Take your places, our Lord and Savior. What a privilege that is. So this morning, as we think about being thankful, be thankful, but be content with all you have. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So you and I are in the ushering ministry. Usher the world into God's presence. What a privilege it is. You've been given the authority. All power and authority has been given to you You have been given the keys to the kingdom of God. Use them to open the gates for people that they may be ushered in. And as you spend time with Jesus this week, sit at his feet. I encourage you. There's many Bible studies. At least four times a week. Set that self for that goal. Just four times a week. Spend some time in the word. You will see fruit family I promise you you will see fruit and so with that we invite you to have a blessed holy week have a one you know what even Thanksgiving isn't it a wonderful family time that you get all your family together around a table wow when last did you give God thanks just for the family that sits at your table wow that's why when we sit down to a table and eat a meal together that's why we give thanks Never share a meal. I don't care if it's a BC cafe where start off just by saying, you know, gentlemen, family, let's give thanks first for this meal, for the people who prepare it and for the farmers who've done this. Just give thanks. An attitude of gratitude. Let's pray. Invite the worship team up. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have created us to be godly. Father, help us to be content with everything you've given us. Thank you for our families. Thank you for this congregation of believers. Thank you for the other churches in our area. So many good, wonderful, amazing people. And Father God, for those that do not know you, Father God, may we be good gatekeepers. May nothing withhold us from ushering your children through the gates of your house. May we enter into your gates with thanksgiving and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.